Hi, this is Rob Stone, pastor of Duns Creek Baptist Church, and you are listening to Duns Creek Conversations, a weekly podcast about faith, growth, discovery, and the journey that God is taking each and every one of us on. Today on the podcast, we are joined by my good friend and the senior pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church, Tommy Rogers. Tommy is a pastor in Putnam County, Florida, and spent many years both in his career in and outside of the church in Jacksonville, Florida. Today, you're going to be listening to part one, a conversation that I have with Tommy about his story and his journey, how God took him from growing up in Jacksonville, Florida, to college in Atlanta, ultimately into the Marine Corps, and then ultimately to his church in Palatka, Florida. It's an exciting journey, and God has done such tremendous things in the life of Tommy Rogers. You're especially going to be impressed by his honesty and his transparency as he talks about the struggle of being a pastor who believes the Word of God and, like many of us, still struggles to live it out every single day. Next week, we're going to be hearing part two, an honest conversation that Tommy and I have about race and what the church's role is in racial reconciliation. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in to the podcast today with my good friend, the Reverend Tommy Rogers. For our listeners who don't know you, um, give me a, a, a short background on Tommy Rogers. Where are you from? Talk to me about your childhood, where you went to school. Um, you you are a uh, United States Marine. Yes. Uh, Semper Fi. Hoorah. Um, <laughs> and you are now serving a, as a pastor. Um, can you give us just a, a, a just a background of who you are, where you're from, and kind of how you got here to Putnam County, Florida? Sure. Um, I, I always talk about the many lives I've had. <laughs> um, so I was born and raised in Jacksonville on the uh, north side of Jacksonville. Um, I'm the youngest of my parents' children. I have two older brothers, and my sister is the oldest. Um, I call her Mini Mom. Mm-hmm. Anyone <laughs> uh, who's grown up with an older sister knows that. So the um, it was a cool it was cool growing up. However, I was five years younger than my next oldest brother, mm-hmm. and all of them were two years apart. So being the youngest and so much younger, it was kind of a um, I I had to develop um, a little bit of a family with my friends, mm. um, neighborhood friends, or a couple guys. We, you know, play ball in the vacant lot, uh, the the church parking lot in the neighborhood, and things like that. And got to know a lot of the guys. But the funny thing was, my mom was a teacher. Really? Uh, actually, my mom has had had an amazing story. Um, she went to college, I think, after my brother. Hmm. had started school and she graduated by the time uh after having me by the time I started um first grade which um my mom figured up some kind of way that I was able to be tested and skip kindergarten and go straight into first grade wow um and my it was funny my aunt just told me a couple weeks ago oh yeah she did it for all of our kids I was like oh okay I thought I was special but that's another (laughs) story (laughs) but um so yeah she um you know, attended, um, it was Florida Junior College at the time, and then went to uh, University of Florida, got her uh, degree teaching uh, well into her 30s. And I'm I, I, um, just so, so uh, amazed at that work, which, 
you know, but early seventies was a difficult time. Mm -hmm. And, um, she, she did that. So, um, I always, uh, was in school. It was like my mom picked my schools, mm -hmm. um, before that was even, I think, a doable thing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I went to school always out of my district. So all my neighborhood friends um, went to another school than I went to. So I, I kind of developed these little patches of friends all over all over the area. So um, it, it made it very interesting that I only got to see the neighborhood friends, you know, mm -hmm. on the weekends. Yeah. And during the week, it was, you know, my family, my cousins and all of us went to the same school. So it was kind of funny that kind of, you know, kind of dynamic that I had that um, I kind of lived in an area that was always outside of where my classmates live. Hmm. So um, coming up, I, you know, went to high, um, eventually ended up at um, Revolt High School. Hmm. Uh, I was in the marching band. I played uh, percussion. Um it was funny. I played the cymbals for my first, my freshman and I'm sorry, my sophomore and junior year of high school. Uh, but we were one of those flashy schools mm -hmm. with the flashy cymbal players. So, so, so you're still playing on the same beats, but in between you were swirling those oh, things around. Yeah, yeah. man. I, and, and the, the key thing was I get out there and I was shine them up. I mm -hmm. mean, I get the brasso and everything and try and get them, get them as shiny as possible. And, um, uh, because, you know, being a drummer, you have a drum in front of you. So you're never able to march and we were one of the high step in marching bands mm. and um and we would you know take the time out on certain games and we would play and we would dance as well mm -hmm. so we had a ball wow. in band in fact um band was as athletic as any athletic activity oh for sure yeah so we we would before we started uh band practice we would have to do a do a lap around the the band field which was basically a football field and Anytime you messed up, mm -hmm. <laughs> some upperclassman or the band director would send you around. And uh, my my senior year, going into my senior year, uh, no, actually, I'm going into my junior year. I tried out for drum major, of course, being young, wasn't wasn't didn't make it. But I actually did much better than I thought and anyone else thought. Mm. So coming into senior year, I was one of the candidates for drum major. But of course, being a senior, I was clowning a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I got kicked off. But then I just went back and I played snare drum. Um, so it, that that whole uh, atmosphere. And uh, I tell you what, band, I had the greatest mentors that I ever had. In mm. fact, I still see a couple of them wow. in Jacksonville when I go home. One was my band director, Mr. Bugs, Clifford Bugs. Um, dynamic man, no nonsense. Oh, I mean, Mr. Bugs was no nonsense. In fact, <laughs> we thought he was far more conservative mm -hmm. than, we, than we we really wanted him to be. But he taught us um, a, a dignity in a class. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things I picked up at Rebalt High School. Wow. We had teachers that were in the mold of my mom mm -hmm. that uh, cared so much about who you were going to be yeah. and developing you. Yeah, we had a really strong experience at, at Revolve and, and that allowed me to make it to um, Morehouse College in Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, it was the um, college that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his dad um, graduated from and I had a great time there, got to meet all kinds of um, 
very famous people. In fact, um, I don't know if you remember Jasmine Guy from um, A Different World, the Whitley, Whitley Gilbert. Yes. Uh, Her father was my world religions teacher. Hmm. And she would come by. I always missed her. But um, and that was around the time they started filming the show. Wow. Um, My freshman year, uh, Spike Lee filmed School Days on campus. he had just had a viewing party for She's Gotta Have It and all those things. So it was a lot. It was a very high and active time. Um, what we did were, you major in at Morehouse? I started off as a, as I'm trying to remember my original major. Um, it, I, it, I think I declared English, but really was thinking about English with a poli sci mm-hmm. uh, minor. And kind of stuck with that. Kind of switched up the marketing for a little while, but really stuck with English. Um, it's just unfortunate my dad had gotten sick. He had suffered with emph- emphysema. Mm. So I came home um, after my uh, sophomore year mm. and um, just stayed with, you know, and that was a blessing because it was a year later that he passed away. Wow. So I had a full year, uh, my dad's last year. And, you know, going back and forth to school uh, locally and working, um, I spent time with him at home a lot. So you were 20, 21 years old when your dad died? Yeah, yeah, 20. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, not quite 20 yet. So 19. I turned tw- yeah, yeah, I was 19. So um what was I mean, obviously losing a parent is hard for anyone, but you're a young man. Yeah. And you've spent 2 years away in mm-hmm. Atlanta at Morehouse and mm-hmm. God's done some cool things there and yeah. you've got some experiences there and now you're back helping to take care of your dad and Yeah. And know, actually part of that time cuz um I was ROTC. Yeah, yeah it was a uh, Navy ROTC getting ready to go Marine Corps option and went to boot camp my fresh after my freshman year. Yeah. In fact, being young, uh, I hadn't quite I hadn't turned 17 then. So uh, the recruiter had to come to my mom's house and dad's house and get them to sign for me uh, from Atlanta and uh, went off to boot camp that summer. Um, and um, it was, I mean, again, just favor over me um, because I had had the time in ROTC and my uh, ROTC uh, staff sergeant was a former drill instructor, so he gave me all kinds of training and things. Like my freshman year, where we were running around the, the Atlanta University campus, uh, getting ready because some guys were going off to uh, their their summer of cruises. Some guys were going off to actual um, OCS Officers Candidate School, and I was getting ready to go off to. Uh, to boot camp so we had he had gotten us ready and I was spending a lot of my time in PT and all this stuff so when I got there I just dove right in I was immediately made second squad leader was second squad leader from like uh, I started off as chaplain believe it or not and I wasn't really you know that religious cat I just as you know grew up in grew up in so, church so you're an 18 year old <laughs> in between 18 year, year old freshman and sophomore yeah. year of college uh-huh in paris island <laughs> in, in, in paris island doing yeah. doing marine corps boot camp yeah mm-hmm. you're made you're, you're made a, a squad leader but before that they see you in this young guy and they go chaplain oh no i volunteer oh you volunteer i okay. volunteer yeah i volunteer for that um well, i think the reason first the reason i did that was getting on to Paris Island. You get there at, at zero dark 30, of course. Um, and the first person you see is a drill instructor. He gets on the bus and he tells you, 
He says about 150 words in less than two seconds. Wow. And you're held accountable for everything he said. So I'm sitting on this bus and I'm looking out and seeing the swamps and Lord, why did I do this again? <laughs> <laughs> so before I got to Paris Island, I did a lot of praying. <laughs> And so I, I was in that praying mode when they said we need a chaplain because really it was just someone to just say, uh, say, uh, the, you know, the Lord's Prayer before we went to bed. Yeah. And and um, so that was that was it. I, I know that I could do that. So um, but I was really blessed, had a great time. Um, but um, a couple of buddies of mine from school, from college, went with me. Hmm. Um, and I heard it when I got back, it was like. And Rogers got there and he just clicked. He just got right into it. There was no joking. There was nothing. Uh, he, 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 and I never really thought of that on my, about myself. Yeah. But, um, you know, I graduated second in my platoon and the guy that graduated ahead of me was prior service air force. Wow. So he was already military. He was already about the age of my drill instructors. So I felt really good about, um, that accomplishment and and the, the reason I tell that story is um, when I came home I was on the Greyhound coming back from Atlanta you know last couple of weeks before mm -hmm. I go back up to Morehouse for school and um, I, I remember this is the one thing about my dad when I stepped off that bus and he picked me up mm -hmm. the look on his face when he saw you know his baby scrawny 135 pound coming back you know 165 pounds and uh in my um you know marine corps alphas uniform and i just the look on my dad's face just made it for me mm. and he was just so proud um the only other time i think was when i came home say for you know thanksgiving first time home as a freshman yeah it, it blew my mind he was like come in here talk to me I'm like what yeah come in here and talk to me See, you never do that. What do yeah. you mean? <laughs> I didn't know what to say. But, you know, it was that. And I had that experience with yeah. that. That that changing relationship, that 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 father son relationship where an adult child relationship. Yeah. And you got to experience at least a few years of mm -hmm. adult adult relationship. Yeah. With with your dad. Yeah. Um, and, and it was always something different being um, the youngest, the baby. Mm hmm. You know, uh, I've seen him have that relationship with my oldest brother, um, seen him have that relationship with my um, my middle brother. And and for it to become now my turn was something that I really hadn't even thought about until probably just now. But, yeah, that was that was that was cool. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I was the typical kid. You know, everything that dad did was wrong. <laughs> and um you knew better i knew better i knew better i know a lot better now that i'm the one that's wrong all the time <laughs> with, with a graduating senior for a son but um there was a there was an experience that i was blessed to have with dad um i had i my parents had bought bought me a car a 1979 or 80 no 81 mercury bobcat wow yeah and that's what I said every morning it cranked up. Wow. <laughs> if it cranked up. <laughs> so many times I've had to crank that car up with a screwdriver in the, in so, I mean, the but, carburetor. But when you had that car, yeah. that car was at least 10 years old by the time you had it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was 81. No, it was more than. Yeah. 
Oh, almost. I got it in, I think, 88. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Eight years old. But it was still a Mercury Bobcat. Yeah. <laughs> a brand new Mercury Bobcat. Isn't you, it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, by that time, the car had died out on me. And um, dad would have to drive me to work. And I worked. I lived at the north side and worked at Bay Meadows. So it was easily a 30-minute drive. And never thought about, you know, dad had to drive back. And then he tried to pick me up wow. after work. I never thought about how that was. And, you know, my dad, now me, I'm late, of course. Mm-hmm. And my dad's doing the speed limit. I'm like, you could drive a little fast. You could get here. And I got to I got to work. I was so mad. And I slammed the door and walked out and didn't say anything. And I went upstairs. And sometime around my first break, I asked my supervisor if I could use the phone. And I called home and I told dad I was sorry. First time I think I've ever really apologized to him for being, you know, that knucklehead. Yeah. And um, it was so funny because my supervisor looked at me and said, I wish I had that relationship with my dad. And I was like, well, I wish I did, too, because this isn't normal. Yeah. So I just saw those things happening in that course of the year that when, you know, dad died, I was able to look back on. But I still, uh, you know, just talking about who I am today, the thing that I really picked up on was the fact that um, my relationship with God wasn't there yet. Hmm. Um, I remember my dad, he, um, it was around Thanksgiving time. He went into the hospital, but he had gone in and out so many times. It's nothing. He'll be back home. So it was, it was, um, like the end of, no, first part of December, he went back again because he went in, I think right after Thanksgiving, went in and, um, the doctors called us and said, come your father's pass. And I'm like, what? No, no, that makes sense. So we got there and dad, had, you know, he was still uh, awake and aware and everything. And so all of us went in um, and, you know, he called us in one at a time, had our own little conversations with him. And I still remember he said, Tommy, you go be all right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. So he got to that point when he was um, unresponsive and they moved him over to hospice. <laughs> Let's see, this is. 30 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Still bothers me. Yeah. Because I sat in hospice in the chapel. And they had a piano there. And, you know, musical for, you know, ever since middle school. Mm-hmm. So I learned, you know, how to read music and everything. But all I wanted was the peace of a hymn. Hmm. The peace of hearing. Because I could hear it in my head from church yeah and you know i just guess i guess i realized at that point in time that i never knew them. i never knew the songs i would hear them over and over again so i pulled out the hymn book and tried to play it on the piano because just couldn't get it hmm. and that bothered me so um you know dad died he we had his funeral on christmas eve which wow. was horrible that to, oh that had to be so hard but it wasn't because well, first off, uh, my dad died on a Sunday and we were home. My uncle came and he told us, my dad's brother, my mm-hmm. dad's middle brother. And he had two brothers. And um, he told us that he died. Of course, we, we were a wreck at the house. But he said, uh, Tommy, get a bag. Um, you coming home with me. And, you know, for a couple of days of uh, Christmas, I spent with uh, my uncle. Hmm. And... 
it was it was it was it was one of the you know best times I had during that time period. So, you know, I came back home. I was a little bit more you know composed and everything, and um, it just was you know of course going to end up being different. Yeah. So that 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 put me in the mindset that you know things were going were going, and I mean for a good five years it was you know not concentrating on doing anything just going around doing whatever i wanted to do uh hanging out you know all the playing around with playing college then Mm -hmm. you know not necessarily going to college but playing so um i um ended up dropping out of course going getting a job Mm -hmm. in fact i had a job i had i had just started working at blue cross blue shield and um was making you know fairly decent money yeah so before dad died and so he he you know got you know got a car and um then eventually got an apartment and everything so school fell off the mm-hmm. fell off the um uh, the table and um so circle back 10 years um and come to the point where my mom passes mm totally different by this time i'm in church mm-hmm. i'm in the choir i'm teaching sunday school i'm teaching nine-year-old boys sunday school <laughs> which was an amazing transformation because when my um when my uh chairman of the um of the church school came to me and said pastor and i were talking and we want you to take over this class like I don't know the Bible that well. It's like you know it better than a nine-year-old, don't you? <laughs> so started that, and so my mom passes away ten years after my dad, and oh yeah, no problem with him, no problem with that. And I remember um, my cousin saying uh, it is well with my soul, and I remember feeling that it was. Yeah. So it was a different, different transformation. So. What had what had God done in your heart and in your life in the in the ten years between your father passing and your mother passing? Well, one, um, my my life had been a complete um, turnaround yeah. because again, I wasn't you know anywhere near at the point of um, knowing Christ through tra- through anything. And by that time, you know, I'd been basically a, a knucklehead. Hmm. Um, and then I just saw God make moves in my life. Um, by then, I started dating my wife now. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, again, um, gotten a stronger relationship with the church and with my pastor. Um, I had actually been around the church quite a bit. Um, helping with some renovation projects and things like that. Uh, by then, I, you know, increasingly got better and better jobs too. So um, it was it was always a good good thing uh, to be there. But um, I enjoyed being at church and enjoyed working and getting to know my pastor, getting to know the members, and uh, just just kind of really getting to know, um, you know, all the things that God could do by using me. Hmm. So I'm he I he, I mean I really got matured in Christ by being available to be used. You know what's what's so interesting is 
so many of the people we've talked to so far mm-hmm. in the podcast, that seems to be such a common theme mm. that that it was not spiritual growth mm-hmm. that led to serving. It was yeah. serving opened up the avenue for spiritual growth. Right. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that was your experience as well. Oh, yeah. And uh, so my my my. You know, my conversion was when I got baptized and I knew Christ Jesus. My conviction experience happened, you know, coming back to church. Mm. Um, Because, you know, before then, the only time I went to church was to show off my uniform. Mm. (laughs) You know, when I got my Marine Corps uniform. And so I'm like, I've done that. I've done the gratuitous show up in in your dress blues. Let everybody say how good you look and then go back. And so now... You know, sat- Sundays are recovery from Saturday. Yeah. So that was that was that was the lifestyle then. But then, um, you know, over time, um, the 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 it wasn't an immediate. It was it took it all of those ten years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when my mom passed, of course, it was extremely traumatic because um, you see my mom's picture, yeah. um, and everyone on the podcast can see my mom's picture as I point to it. <laughs> <laughs> But um, we, can, we can we can post a picture on the website. <laughs> um, I'm my mom's kid, yeah. you know, look like her, act like her. My dad was so low key, um, but my mom was the um, the the uh, the type A personality. Mm-hmm. So I picked that up from her. But, um, you know, she was she was she was, um, you know, my my primary my primary um, cheerleader for me. Yeah. So when she when she uh, went home to be with the Lord, of course it was different, but it was it was you know it was equally traumatic. But um, I had an experience that because I mean it's not like I didn't fall apart. <laughs> I, I did that. Yeah. I had a, you know I was staying with a buddy of mine. We had a uh, we were renting a condo uh, across the bridge, and um, my fiance. At, well, we were dating. We weren't fiance at the time. Um, my wife Monique called me and said, uh, "You need to get to the hospital. Pastor's down there." And so I walk in the, the room, and um, first person I see is my pastor, and then I see my mom, and she's gone. Hmm. And um, I fell apart, you know, of course. Um, so I remember being back at the condo and um, going into my closet, and you know, my two or three suits that I had, trying to figure out what to wear to the viewing. Um, to the wake and I was like I can't do this and I just fell down on the ground and you know burst into tears and everything but then all of a sudden there was this calmness Hmm. it came over me and I got up picked out my suit got dressed got in my car drove down and when I saw my mom I had so much peace because this was peaceful for her you know she had congestive heart failure diabetes and everything and and I was like, this is the first time I've seen her rest easy mm. in years. So that was that was the experience I had. Of course, I told you, of course, the service was um, was oh, I didn't turn that computer off. The service was um, very, 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 very meaningful. So um, about two weeks later, I walk into my pastor's office and I'm like, I think it's finally time. Mm that I answered the call to the ministry. Wow. And I had my um, trial sermon. He said, next Wednesday, next Wednesday night, you'll have your trial sermon. 
Now talk to me because that <laughs> now now you have to understand. I, I you know I from a my, my background is is really coming up in ministry at a at a at a nearly non-denominational mm-hmm. evangelical Baptist church, mm-hmm. and the experience of called to ministry was was nothing so formal and definitely nothing so you know, hey, I think God might be calling me into ministry. Mm-hmm. All right, well, you got three days to prepare a sermon. You're going to bring the word. <laughs> Talk to me about, I mean, was was that par for the course at, at the church you were at? Yeah. Was was that just the leadership of the pastor you were under? It, it's it's pretty much uh, par for the course for the um, African-American dynamic of um, particularly the, the Black Baptist Church. Yeah. Um, but, but specifically with my pastor. My pastor... Um, my pastor's George Price at St. Matthew Baptist Church in Jacksonville. My pastor in this October, Lord willing, will celebrate 54 years. Wow. Um, he was 23 when he got to the church. Wow. In 63. And 23, 26. But he was very young. Yeah. And um, he, he's from from uh, a, a very... Uh, the, tra- the tradition of that time you know he joined when he was in he had his experience in san antonio texas mm-hmm. when he was uh in the in the it was army air corps at the time air force and um he he joined the church antioch in san antonio and um so he had a whole lot of that and mm. he still does yeah um, i didn't get ordained until i came here mm-hmm. and i was preaching for 12, 15 years just about. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it, it, it's, it's a very different type of, even even now that's yeah. so foreign for yeah. even the majority of, of black Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that was the process. You, 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 you say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like really thrown into the deep end of the pool. Yeah. And no, no, uh, help. <laughs> No, no, no guidance. No easing, no waiting <laughs> no. in, just kind of kind of throwing you in. It's like you seen me do it, now you go do it. And wow. sermon do remember, prep. Do you remember what you preached oh, on yes, that first I sermon? Do. Yes, yes I do. It was um Anna's and Sapphira. It was the fearful church. And wow. it really tied it tied into the fact that um God's wrath caused a, a fear over the church. Mm-hmm. And it says immediately after that, I think 3,000 were added. Yeah. And I, I came from a general sense, and I still have it in the drawer down here, too. I pull it out every now and then. In fact, I, re- I re-preached it when I celebrated 20 years in the ministry. Wow. Um, but it, it, it was strictly saying maybe the church is not making the impact now because we're not as fearful as we mm. were then in the first century that we're ca- casual we're, yeah. we're being casual with god and so we've got casual results exactly and god and god didn't killing us right away either when no. we, <laughs> you know you walk into church and you see a dead body sitting over there Ooh, i ain't gonna do that <laughs> that's that's the truth <laughs> so that that was the sense that i had and i have you know it was it was it was it was it was fun so i mean i mean preaching for the first time but just having you know my mom's sister was there and my dad's brother was there and my uncle clarence was there and they, all the family was there my brothers and everyone and you know couldn't preach myself out of a wet paper bag but <laughs> i um i i did i i and i really look back at it and i look you know 
this wasn't a bad sermon, you yeah. know? The, yeah. So I, I really was blessed. And, and, and I mean, you and went I, for it. I, I yeah. Mean, look, went, I, I know. deep. Uh, I know, I know a lot of pastors that have been in the ministry 15, 20 years today who wouldn't preach a sermon on it. This is fire. So, I mean, just swinging for the fences right out of the gate. I love yeah, it. Yeah, not, not having sense enough to know is a whole nother thing. <laughs> but I think it also is, is a, um, a reflection of my pastor. You know, um, that's, that's what I grew up on. Mm-hmm. Even coming here. Um, I think uh, Bethlehem has to kind of get a little bit of uh, a different flavor and a different taste when I came here because it took a little while yeah. for them to get used to my voice. And um, actually, it actually had taken me a little while to temper hmm. um, my preaching um, along the lines that, you know, maybe not so, um, I wouldn't say I, it probably a it's a caricature to even say it, but not so much pharisaic, hmm. but more counseling yeah. in the preaching. Um, but you know, n- new 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 converts. Oh yeah. my goodness, yeah, you know, because I think we feel it in ourselves. Yeah, that God has done so much for me, and I want you to get it. Mm-hmm. And you just want to grab everyone in the congregation you by the shoulders shake them, yeah. and shake them. Get, I just get it, get it, get it. And 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 that that's the uh, that's what you 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 want to do. But then again, no one really um, comes to significant life change through a shaking. It's 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 a lifelong. Yeah, um, it's a lifelong chipping away. Yeah. You came to him and said, I, there's a call to ministry and I need to answer it, put you in the pulpit, and then affirms that call. Mm-hmm. And you begin, you essentially join the preaching team yeah. at St. Matthew's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you do that for 12, 15 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you arrive at your first church <laughs> with, with more experience than most pastors who've been in the ministry five years. Yeah. And so you come here. Mm-hmm. Before before we get into how God called you mm-hmm. to Putnam County, talk to me about those 15 years mm-hmm. serving at St. Matthew's and, and what was happening in your life. What was God doing in your life? What were some of the doors that were opening for you? Because it wasn't just answering this call to ministry. God was opening all kinds of doors for yeah, you to was. use your your gifts in communication, your mm-hmm. gifts in marketing, your gifts in uh, civic leadership. I mean, mm-hmm. God was really beginning to expand your reach and your influence during that period of time. So what did, what did that look like? How did that happen? I had gotten, um, you know, I was doing a lot of networking yeah. with people. Uh, one of my buddies had a uh, young professionals, uh, African-American professionals group that we would meet on uh, first Fridays. Mm-hmm. And one of the times there, um, guy came by named Alvin Brown and um the the politician yeah wow okay yeah. so um I met him there and we talked a little while because I had done some work on his campaign just you know knocking on doors calling doing some phone calls on his early campaign back in the early 90s so um we started talking and we got and you know I would see him in different places and he'd be like Tommy Rogers like hey 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 Alvin how you doing so eventually he 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 had started floating um that he was Think about running for mayor. And at this time, I had um, joined, um, that's how my daughter had been born, and Kelsey was born a preemie. Hmm. She was two pounds, 14 ounces, about uh, six wow. weeks early, nine, nine to six weeks early. 
So um, that got me tied in because, again, everything being tied to St. Matthew, we had a faith-based initiative to fight in for mortality hmm. called Hold Out the Lifeline. It was trying to get grandmothers to start telling these younger mothers, these younger girls who were having babies, all the things about getting healthy and all the things you can do to make sure that you're healthy before you get pregnant so that we could work that area yeah. from uh, fighting in for mortality. So um, the, the lady that was over healthy started at the time, Carol Brady, um, she asked to have a meeting at the church um, to really just kind of say, what can we do with this program to get it kicked off and, and, and get it going? So my pastor asked me to go because yeah. he knew about Kelsey. So um, I go and just, you know, questions I asked and comments I made, Carol Brady just grabbed hold of me at that point in time and asked me to get on the Healthy Start Coalition, which works fighting in for mortality on the state level. And she got me in. Uh, you know, I would go and make some questions and comments. And then got me on the board and eventually said, I want you to chair the board. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? So um, I ended up chairing the board of Healthy Start. And at that same time, um, there was a think tank in Jacksonville called JCCI, Jacksonville mm -hmm. Community uh, Corporation. Uh, Community Corporation. Yeah, Incorporated. I think I got that wrong. But JCCI, everyone know, knew them. Uh, they were taking on infant mortality. Hmm. And um, he said, I want you to come. So I would take off lunch break and go over there. It was right around the corner, so it was an easy ride. And, you know, all these people, chair, the head of the health department, uh, local city council, some representatives from the state government and everything were there. And, you know, of course, they help all the individuals to do the work. And they were saying, well, we can do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do that. And I just sat around and I was looking around and I'm like, about the only one here that's actually had this happen to their family. Wow. And I said, okay, so, and I asked the question, because they got, and they had a long list of everything they wanted to do, the recommendations and how they were going to do it. And I asked the question, I said, okay, how does everything on this list help that one mom that lives at the corner of 45th and Moncrief have a baby that lived to see her first birthday? Hmm. Silence. You know, I was just, you know, asking the question. I've never been afraid to ask a question. So they scrapped everything and started over again. <laughs> and um, it, it came out. We had some awesome recommendations. <clears throat> but turn around. There's the study part of it. Mm -hmm. Then there's a two year implementation, which I loved about their process. And one just have a study, put it on the shelf. They had committees that took each recommendation and they were responsible for implementing it within the two year time frame. It would be easy for a person who doesn't have the faith in the Jesus that you have. Mm -hmm. It would be easy for someone to look and go fired from a job. Mm -hmm. That's just bad luck. Yeah. Um, hey, tough situation to be in. Man, I'm I'm thankful that this friend of mine was in a position to to off, offer me some work during the period of time. Hey, my sister got me in yeah. at a company I didn't really want to work for, mm -hmm. but hey, I, you know I uh, I worked as hard as I could and got promoted, got promoted, mm -hmm. and now suddenly I'm I'm working doing you're doing sales for mm -hmm. a medical supply company, and so w which means that you are in hospitals building relationships yeah. with doctors, building mm -hmm. real and. and 
even your daughter who's born premature mm-hmm. gives you a personal stake, a personal yeah. investment in this issue that your church is already connected with and mm-hmm. that you've already been serving in kind of the periphery, but now it's personal for you. Right. Now it now it really matters for you. Mm-hmm. And for our, our you know you know, I think this is an easy stat to lose track of, but for our listeners who don't know, amongst developed nations, yeah. the United States is incredibly low mm-hmm. in terms of the infant mor- or, or incredibly high rather yeah. in terms of infant mortality. Mm-hmm. We we have more children die mm-hmm. um, in in or around childbirth yeah. in the United States than almost any other developed nation. And the statistics of that also skyrocket yeah. within the African-American community. Exactly. And so here's, here's something where you can look back on that 12 years and even look back on this call to ministry, mm-hmm. this, this call to ministry that puts you in the pulpit and puts you in front of mm-hmm. people and speaking and more and more comfortable you know, more and more comfort and command of how you speak in front of people. Mm-hmm. And all of these things are happening and it all coalesces into you have opportunity to serve mm-hmm. on these committees. You have opportunity to serve civically within within this community in Jacksonville. Yeah. To play really a very influential role in a mayoral race mm-hmm. in in Jacksonville. And in all of that happens out of the death of your mother, yeah. getting fired from a job, mm-hmm. your daughter being born between nine and six weeks premature, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of these things that put you in a place to do not only the most good, but to do the most good in a way where you are most prepared and equipped to do it, mm-hmm. all come out of tragedy. Yeah, things I didn't want to happen. Yeah. Because also leading into that, once um, I start down this path with um, Alvin Brown, he becomes a candidate, and I see him one day, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to have um, someone come from Washington. I want you to come here on Saturday. Well, Thursday before that Saturday, I get called to the VP of HR, and I get told that my position has been eliminated. Wow. Yeah, so... Um, thank you for 12 years and security will show you out to your car now. Yeah. I'm going downtown. I'm going to see Alvin Brown. I'm talking to him while he's starting his, getting his major kickoff. And I'm like, he's, you know, working the crowd and I'm like, Hey, well, you know, bad news. I lost my job, but I've got some time now. I'm going to, I said, I was going to take about a month off and I was going to spend some time. Now I can volunteer for the campaign. He's like, Oh, all right. All right. Um, I'm gonna call you Tuesday. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll, you know, knock on some doors, stuff some envelopes. He says, come down. I want you to talk to my, he calls me and um, he says, yeah, Tuesday, I want you to come down. Now, Thursday, I got fired. Mm-hmm. Saturday, I see him. And um, Sunday, I tell my pastor. And he was like, well, you know, uh, why don't you work for Alvin Brown? He's, <laughs> he's running. I'm like, oh, I'm not really thinking about this. I'm, you know, I got a good little severance. I got some time, you know, not realizing I was walking face long into the worst economic downturn and, mm. and everyone else around me was getting laid off. So um, I, I call, I call him, I go down there, I meet with him and the, um, and the campaign manager, great guy. 
And he says, uh, Tommy Rogers, I want you to uh, be the director of my faith outreach and I want you to be my volunteer coordinator. Excuse me? So he's, he's not talking about, hey, I want you to go stuff some envelopes. He's saying, I want to hire you. Yes, I want you on senior staff. Now, of course, at this point in time, no one gave, a, gave him a shot. No one gave us a shot. But um, we were down at the, um, you know, where we were waiting on the election results to come in. And uh, part of my job was getting the cupcakes. <laughs> I mean, it was everything I was yeah. doing. So... Um, we're sitting there and the results start coming in and Alvin makes it to the runoff. I mean, the echo in the room was mm. that few people, but it was amazing before that night was over how crowded it got in there. <laughs> Winning will do that. <laughs> yes. So then profile changes. We get people coming in from all over the place and, um, you know, we, we, we make it. But I have conversation with Alvin because I would it was couple days where it was just me and him in the car i was driving him um and we went out to the beach went to baldwin all these places but we would always talk Mm -hmm. um and i told him you know i don't want a city job because he wanted me to be the ombudsman for the city Mm. and i said i don't want a city job i want to do my own thing the state convention for uh florida general baptist which we were under was in jacksonville it's Mm -hmm. never in jacksonville so I go down. No, National Convention was National there. National Convention. And um, never in Jacksonville. So I go down and I see a whole bunch of preachers that I know and, you know, got to know real well because by now I'm, you know, the access for the mayor. Mm. <laughs> so, hey, Tommy, come here. Hey, man, I heard about a church down in Palaka. He said, yeah. Uh, so he gave me, he called me, called me up and said, hey, here's a number for the chairman of the deacons. Um so I called and he's like, hey, can you come and preach? So um, I came down, I preached and, you know, was always taught, preach, get your hat and leave. And um, got the call back. They wanted me to put my, my resume in and um, through an arduous process of coming in and preaching again. And um, the, the other candidates, there were three candidates that it came down between myself, um, young guy, out of Jacksonville and an older guy also out of Jacksonville. The young guy was a buddy of mine. Yeah. So we have been talking and um, said, hey, man, this isn't a competition. You know, if you get the church, I'd be happy for you. I know if I get the church, you'll be happy for me. Um, and then the other guy, um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Gary Williams, First Baptist. Just in yeah, hope. Well, yeah, yeah. he's uh, on television and everything was out of his church. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I know Gary very well because I've worked with him. He was one of the co-chairs for the inauguration that I worked with. So I'm just like, hey, whatever happens, I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah. You know, um, by this time, I had gotten a contract that was very well. I mean, very good. So, you know, the Lord, uh, so the consulting business it. is going well. Yeah. And so you're, you're in a position really where, Hey God, I, I'm, I'm going to walk forward, yeah. but God, you've set me up in such a way mm-hmm. that I can have a peace about whatever happens because God, here's what you've done. And here's how you've taken right. care of me. And by this time, my home church has started considering a building project for a new building. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I need to be here with my pastor, help him with this. Yeah. You know, he's, you know, late eight, late seventies. 
and um, got all this work coming ahead of him. And, you know, mostly everybody in the church is, uh, you know, considerably 20 years older than me, you know. Yeah. So let me, let me, you know, stick around and see what happens here. So I get called to Palatka and I end up here. Um, pastor here, pastor 27 years before retiring. Mm. And um, it, it, I came into a situation where there was, um, you know, a long process in calling the next pastor. And, you know, during that time, without a shepherd, the sheep will stray. Yeah. So it took a little while for everyone to come in, but um, ran into some opposition, of course. Whenever you come in with a new vision uh, that people aren't used to, um, it gets a little hard for people to get used to it. And it's it's nearly impossible. For some people. For, for, it's nearly impossible to, to come in and replace someone who's that beloved and who's yeah. been there that long. Mm-hmm. Um, just because there's such a long institutional memory. I mean, there's there the the personality of the pastor becomes very quickly the personality of, of the, the church. church. Absolutely. In 27 years, I mean, that's the culture of the church. It is. It is. And so you're coming in, and no matter who you are or what you do, yeah, you're going to be different yeah. because you're not him. Right. Oh, but um, it it, it I've I've come to find out too that. Every growth requires some agitation. And mm. I say, I, you know, I've told the church plenty of times, I'm not mad at anyone that disagrees with me, and I'm not mad with anyone that's mad at me. It, every washing machine that's worth its salt has an agitator. Mm -hmm. And agitation has a way of cleaning things. Yeah, It's not easy, but it's needed. And, you know, I've just been in, enjoying the time here at Bethlehem. I've, I love the people. I've seen such growth in the membership um i've seen such growth even in myself yeah and i i mean i, I the arduous path that i took to get here through mm -hmm. all of the tragedies that i've had and all of the disappointments that i've had and all of my plans that i've made that have fallen by the wayside it, it gives me the strength to know even through the adversity that this is where god wants me to be yeah and he's got to work for me that's right um, I've just started a new um, teaching series last night on uh, spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. Um, and I'm doing this in an effort so that we could move into, you know, getting closer to God and having these. Because I'm pretty sure if I didn't have that class in seminary, I wouldn't be able to come through the stuff that I've come through. Yeah. So, yeah, tragedy. But tragedy, tragedy shapes all of us. Mm hmm. At some point in time, we all can look back on some tragedy that, that made us move. Uh, I always, I always say, um, every job I've ever lost, God has given me a better one. Yeah. But it's like the child that picks up the scissors. Sometimes mom has to pop the hand for it to open. Mm -hmm. Has it made you at this point in your life and in your career, have, do you find that you have become more open-handed with God? Absolutely not. <laughs> Not a chance, Tommy. At I, all. I, so, I just so love your honesty, because because you could you, you you had that look in your face, and and I know because you are a good pastor. I know there's a sermon ready in the back of your head, 
that you could have just you could have just eased our listeners into this powerful sermon about trusting in the faithfulness of God. But I got to tell you, the honesty to just say, look, God has always been faithful. God's faithfulness doesn't make me more faithful. It just proves that he's faithful exactly. when I'm not. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I, I feel that helps me in preaching because I don't preach with pretense. Hmm. I, I, I Un- unpack that a little bit for our listeners. What do yeah, you mean by that? I mean, I preach first because for me to for me to preach, it has been preached to me, mm-hmm. and I always want to preach from a from a place that I understand what you're going through, mm-hmm. and I don't want to come with a pretense that oh you sh- you should do this, you should do that. Yes, you should, but I understand that you got a problem with it. Yeah, because I got a problem with it. Yeah, you know, I always, I will always preach the truth, but I will always let you know that I don't always live it. What a refreshing conversation with my good friend Tommy Rogers. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope it was a blessing to you. Hope that you enjoyed this first part of our two-part conversation together. Come back next week to listen to Tommy and I talk honestly about race and the church's role in racial reconciliation. Also want to say thank you so much for listening to this. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you are, please take the time and go ahead and write a review of the podcast or go ahead and give us a five-star review and that would allow other people to more easily find the podcast and discover some of the great content that you've been listening to. I pray that God is continuing to do great things on in your life and the journey that he's taking you on. We pray that you have a blessed day and a blessed week. God bless you and have a wonderful day.